0: Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study every Wednesday evening for those who want to be in God's Word, but they cannot be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ or maybe not be able to be with anybody in in any congregation anywhere. Uh, We're just thankful to have the opportunity and the ability and the means to be able to teach God's Word on such a widespread basis through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. We're thankful that you're there and that you want to learn more from God's Word, and we're thankful that we're here and that we're able to help you along that line. We encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. Help somebody else grow in their faith because faith comes by hearing the word of God. So help them to grow by getting them into God's word through these podcasts. And Tell them also to uh, go to our website at churchofchrist.com. Churchofchrist.com. Click in the email link and I'm sorry, click in the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It always will be free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help people get to heaven. So when they sign up for our podcasting, they will receive automatically to their smartphone or computer or whatever smart device they choose, they will receive our Wednesday night Bible class or Sunday morning Bible class, all of our sermons, and they'll receive a Monday through Friday daily radio program called Search the Scriptures and a a seven-day-a-week short Bible class, about 13, 14 minutes usually, and we call that today's Bible class. All of that will automatically go to them, and they can listen at their convenience, and it can also help them to continue to grow in their faith. Now, that's all free, always will be free, Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and check us out in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha. 3606 North 108th Street. Bible classes begin at 930, followed by uh, followed by worship service at 1030 every Sunday And Sunday evening Bible, uh, Sunday evening worship begins at 6 o'clock each Sunday evening Midweek Bible classes, Wednesday evening at 630 And again, you're always welcome Always uh, encouraged to come and be with us in person If you're in the Omaha area Now again, we're thankful for all of those In other parts of the country and around the world Who want to be in God's word but they can't be with us in person because of where they live and we're thankful to be able to be together through these podcasts and study God's word together tell others again to take advantage of the opportunity and we're going to continue in our study with in in the gospel account of Jesus Christ and his ministry upon this earth and written by the apostle John, guided by God through the Holy Spirit to write it correctly, and we're thankful to be able to have God's word and we're thankful again to be able to uh, share it with people through these through these uh, podcast Bible Bible classes. We're in the 14th chapter of John's gospel account, and as I said, the 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th and 17th chapters of John are all one immediate context. They're one of the longest immediate contexts of Scripture in the entire Bible, and also, obviously, in the New Testament. And the setting is Jesus is with his apostles, the 12, in the upper room, and this is the night that he will be betrayed by Judas, one of the apostles, into the hands of the Jewish authorities. He'll be run through tonight, if we're thinking about it, from being there and, and actually, you know, the immediate uh, the immediate moment, so to speak, time-wise. If, if we were there tonight, he would be run through a series of mock hearings, trials, whatever you want to call them. They were not following the law of Moses but the Jewish officials were trying to cover their bases and they were trying to you know sort of say be able to say to everybody oh yeah we ran him through all the things we were supposed to run him through before we condemned him but the Jewish authorities were not able themselves to be able to crucify Christ because they were under Roman rule, Roman government rule, and so they were forbidden by the Roman government to perform executions of this nature themselves. So they would they would take what they would tell the Roman governor, yeah, we've run him through all these hearings, we found him guilty, he's worthy of death, he ought to be crucified – and they would use that as something of leverage to pressure the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, into commanding the Roman soldiers to crucify Jesus on that cross. Now again, this is the night of his betrayal. The next day, he would be on that cross. Judas would betray him to the Jewish authorities, and the next day, the Roman soldiers in charge of his execution would crucify him on that cross. We looked through the 13th chapter last time. And so we pick up with chapter 14 this time. Now, through these these several chapters, this all immediate this one immediate context, chapters 13 through 17, Jesus is giving the apostles kind of some last minute instructions or teachings, uh, encouragement before he goes to the cross. Now, the 17th chapter, that's basically a prayer of Jesus, and most of it is really focused upon the apostles. But then, as you get farther into it, around verse 21 or so, he starts to focus upon all of those who had become his followers, Christians. Now, we pick up with chapter 14. In chapter 13, he gave that that incredible visual aid object lesson, if you would, where he washed the apostles' feet, all of them, one by one, all 12 of them. And he taught them the lesson that he was trying to get across. I I have come to serve. And so if I, your master, and you do recognize me as your master, and that's correct for I am, if I have served you by washing your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. Now, he wasn't He wasn't literally trying to get across some kind of commandment that all of his followers should wash each other's feet. That was, again, an object lesson, a great visual aid. What he was trying to get across is you need to serve one another. You need to be there for one another. And that's not just the 12 apostles on that night, but he is talking about all who would become his followers, all who would become ultimately true Christians. We need to be serving, working Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. So here's this great example. He's the master. He's the son of God. He's the savior come to earth, and he washed the feet of every one of the apostles, put himself in that kind of a humble position. Now, in chapter 14, he goes on with the instruction. Now, also, I want to go back quickly to the closing verses of chapter of chapter 13, and particularly verses 34 and 35, where he, he talks about um, a new commandment of love. And this is not a, a good idea. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. He says, you know, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then he says... By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, a new commandment, somebody might say, well, I thought God always commanded love. I thought love was, was, was central in God's relationship with humankind. But you see, it's a new commandment in, in, in the form of or by means of the, the direction. He's telling the apostles, and, and not just the apostles, but it would be, again, all who would become true Christians, I'm commanding you to love one another, and then the scope of the commandment, as I have loved you, that you love one another. He'd be on the cross the next day. So we're talking about an incredible depth and commitment of love here, and it's specific between true followers of Jesus, true Christians, and then the purpose that those who are not yet Christians can be influenced to come to me through the example of your love for one another. What a great example that is, and what a great lesson for us today. And we need to take it to heart, and we need to be living that lesson. And then Jesus, in the last few verses of that 13th chapter, he predicts to Peter that he's going to deny him before the rooster crows in the morning. Again, this is the evening of the, of, of the betrayal The next day he would be on the cross, but even before he goes to the cross that next morning, before the rooster crows, Jesus said to Peter, you'll deny me three times. And he did exactly that. Now, chapter 14, Jesus goes on in verse 1 and he says, let not your heart be troubled. He's talking to the apostles here you believe in God, believe also in me. Now, they're the primary audience, so to speak, or focus of this instruction. As he's speaking to them, they're there with him at that time. But the secondary, or, or maybe we should say the greater application is, again, to all who will become his true followers, his true disciples, true Christians. So he says, let not your heart be troubled you believe in God, believe also in me. The apostles were going to be put to the test shortly because within just a few hours, he was going to be taken into custody by the Jewish authorities. He would be betrayed by one of his own apostles, Judas Iscariot. And so they're going to be put to the test. How dedicated are you to Jesus? How faithful will you remain to Jesus? And initially, they all scatter. But he says, so let's make the application to our lives today. Are you facing some really difficult situation in your life? Is it testing your faith and your faithfulness? Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me. He goes on and says, in my house are many, in my father's house are many mansions or rooms or dwellings, Depending on your translation, there. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. He's trying to get across to them, he's going to be leaving them soon. And it's not just the death and the cross that's going to separate him from them on a physical level. He's going to rise from that tomb, he's going to rise from the physical dead. But 40 days later, he will ascend back to heaven. And so, he, will, he is there right now, and he's waiting for that day when the Father sends him back to this earth, well, to meet the saved in the air, to judge all mankind, that final day of judgment, when God will bring this world as we know it to an end through fire. So he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And there's a place waiting there for every true Christian. We can look forward with expectation to eternal life with him in heaven as we live a life of dedicated and consistent faithful obedience. In verse 3, he goes on and says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That will be the final day of judgment and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And he's talking about the beginning of eternity, if you would. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was saying, I'm the way to eternal life. You have to come to God through me, and you can only come to God through me. Now, let me take a little bit of a moment here to talk about all of those who would point to different religious beliefs that do not believe in Jesus. You say, well, Really, oh, yeah, you're talking about the Muslims. They don't believe in Jesus as the Savior. You're talking about the Jewish people. They don't believe in Jesus as the Savior. And what about those who practice Buddhism and Shintoism and on and on? All those different religious beliefs that do not believe that Jesus is the Savior and the only way to God. In fact, some of them, you might even wonder, do they even believe in God to begin with? as we know God. Now, so what about them? As people might say, look, there are billions of people out there who don't believe in Jesus as the Savior, and maybe at least some of them, a lot of them, they believe in God in some way. What about them? I would simply remind you of what Jesus just said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no way to God except through Jesus, our Savior. That's Scripture. That's God's Word. Because the Apostle Paul wrote by inspiration that all Scripture is, given by, uh, that all scripture is inspired by God. It is God's very Word <clears throat> is, is basically what the Greek means there. It is God-breathed. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God it is God's very word. And so when Jesus is speaking this here and saying he is the only way to God, there is no other way to God, no other avenue to God, and obviously then no other avenue to eternal life in heaven. He's simply speaking God's very word. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, speaking of Jesus, the apostles said, nor is there salvation in any other For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, what about all those religious groups that believe in some other way to God, if they even believe in the true God? And some of them probably don't even believe in the true God. What about all of them? What about those millions upon millions or hundreds of millions upon hundreds of millions or maybe billions upon billions? they may be sincere in what they believe, but sincerity in belief does not equate to truth in belief. You see, the facts have to be there to establish that what we believe is really the truth of God's Word. Think about how emphatic even the the quote-unquote scientific community was in centuries gone by that the earth was flat, that the earth was the center of the universe. Well, as time went on and we became more sophisticated in our, our scientific understanding, we came to understand as sincere and as emphatic and as universal as those beliefs were, they were absolutely wrong. The earth is round. We know that. But you know where we should have picked that up first? And all of those people who believed that it was flat should have, should have recognized their mistake? The Bible said it's round. And we understand from scientific you know, observations through telescopes and so on. The earth is not the center of the universe. So even though those beliefs were sincere and basically universal, they were absolutely wrong. And the same principle can apply to religious beliefs that do not conform to the facts. God is God, the God, the only God. Jesus is God the Son, the Savior, the only Savior, and as he said here, the only way to God the Father. We need to understand that. We don't need to be embarrassed by that truth because truth is truth. We need to stand upon it. We need to uphold it, and we need to walk according to it. We move on to verse 7. Jesus goes on, and he says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip speaks up here, and he says, uh, Now, Thomas has already spoken up and said, yeah, We don't know the way. Where are where you going? How can we know? Jesus said, It's through me, Thomas. Thomas was one of his disciples, one of his apostles. But the apostles, and this is a lot of what we're seeing in chapters 13 through 16 especially, he's trying to help them understand more fully what he has been teaching them for the past three years or so. A lot of it they did not retain. A lot of it kind of went over their heads, I suspect. And he's trying to to help them understand more fully. And, but then he goes on later in this chapter, where, or chapters you know, 14, 15, and 16, he, he recognizes they're still not getting it all. And that's where he says, I'm gonna pray the Father that he sends the Holy Spirit that you can remember what I've taught you and that you can understand even what you have yet to learn. So now Tom, uh, Philip speaks up And Jesus says, um, and now you know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And this is the third time, basically, I believe, as we've seen in this study in John's Gospel account, that Jesus says to people who would be his detractors, or in some cases, maybe they just don't understand or, or or have a difficult time fully believing that he is god the son and our savior the messiah come to earth he tells peter he tells philip here I, if if you don't believe me you know believe on my own believe me because of the works that i have done how could i do have done all these miracles that you've seen me do if i were not in the Father and the Father in me. And so basically he's telling Philip, you've seen me? In essence, you've seen the Father, because we're basically one. In verse 12, he goes on, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do; that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my in my name, I will do it. Now, some people might be puzzled by what he says in verse 12 there, when when he says, "Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do." And someone might be confused, they might kind of scratch their head and say, how could we, we believe in Jesus, but how could we do greater works than he has done? If you're talking about performing miracles, that's not what he's really talking about. But he explains it in essence when he says, because I go to my father. He was here upon this earth for about 33 years. From what we understand from the scripture account, He pursued his public ministry of going about teaching the gospel for about three years. And then he went to the cross, arose from the tomb, and appeared risen for a period of 40 days, and then ascended back to the Father in heaven. And that's where he is right now until the Father sends him back for the final day of judgment. We are here to go on with that teaching and that has been pursued for almost 2000 more years now and so greater works than he has done i think we're to understand from the way he qualified that or explained it for for i go to my father we're going we continue on by teaching the gospel we continue on he did it for a period of about 3 years that we know about we have the opportunity for the span of our lifetimes, for the span of the rest of humanity's time upon this earth and the church being here central to the work that we're supposed to be doing in spreading the gospel. We have that opportunity to keep on teaching and keep on teaching and teach those we teach to keep on teaching others around them. So in that sense, I think, is what he meant for us to understand in that we still have all this time to keep on teaching the gospel. In verse 15, he goes on and he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And we need to understand the the nature of that particular statement. He's not leaving open the option of keeping his commandments. The sense of what he's saying there is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And so, When he says, I will not leave you orphans, that can also be translated, I will not leave you desolate, just on your own. He says, I will come to you. So here is, I believe, the first of his assurances in this immediate context of Scripture through these chapters, 13 through 16, for sure, that he says, I'm not going to leave you alone. The Holy Spirit's going to come and be with you. And there was a promise of that to all who had become Christians. The Spirit guides us through the Word. Those writers whom God chose to write down the New Testament books were guided to write God's very Word through the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit guides us through the Word. And in some way, if I, I think the understanding is that because we're told several times that, that as we become true Christians, baptized truly into Christ for the remission of our sins and salvation, that the Spirit comes to be with us. And we're not talking about performing miracles. We're talking about, as Paul puts it, the seal or the earnest of our salvation. Okay? Now, so we move on. Verse 19, Jesus goes on and he says, a little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, because I live, you will live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I, am my, that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. And so this tremendous oneness he's talking about as we come to God through Jesus in faithful obedience and dedication. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Now, what did he just say back in verse 15? If you love me, keep my commandments. The sense being, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Okay, now, see, true love for Jesus is evidenced in our obedience to His commandments, in other words, to keeping the teachings that He has given to us in His Word, to live obediently and consistently by those teachings. He goes on; uh, the text goes on in verse 22, and says, "Judas, not Iscariot, said to Him, Lord, how is it that You will manifest Yourself to us and not to the world?" Jesus answered and said to him if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Here he says it again. True love for Jesus is evidenced on our part by our living faithfully and consistently by his teachings, by the word, by the scriptures, God's word. And my father will love him and we will come to to him and make our home with him. Now, he said this three times in principle. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then in verse 24, he puts it in reverse order. So there's no question, no no opportunity for misunderstanding as to the absolute essential nature of what he's saying. You must keep my commandments. You must live by my teachings faithfully and consistently if you truly love me. So in verse 24, he puts it in reverse order. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So there's no wiggle room left. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you don't love me, that's going to be demonstrated by your not keeping my commandments. People need to grasp that because a whole lot of people will say emphatically how much they love Jesus but they don't live by his teachings. And so they do not love Jesus in the way that he is is commanding here that we love him. In verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And so this is the second time in this immediate context of chapters 13 through 17 that he tells the apostles assures them that he's going to pray to the father and the father's going to send the holy spirit to be with them now in this particular situation he's talking specifically to the apostles because of what he says next so the helper the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. And so he's telling them, and and here again, we understand. the apostles didn't get it all when Jesus was with him with them. They heard him do a lot of teaching that they did not fully understand. They probably had forgotten a lot of what He had taught them. But Jesus says, "When I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come to you to the apostles." and And he's going to teach you all things. There're going to be some things that you're going to that you don't know yet, that I haven't taught you yet, but you're going to need to know, because you're going to begin the work of the church. The church was not in existence yet at this time. It would be on Pentecost, ten days after Jesus ascended back to heaven. 50 days after he was crucified and arose from the grave. So the, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And there were going to be some, some situations that we're going to confront the apostles very soon that could certainly generate a great deal of fear in their hearts. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'll be there with you. And the faithful Christian can have that sense of peace and calm, even in the face of difficulties and trouble and trials. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 4 and verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then in verse 7, he says, and the peace of God, which passes understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that's a great blessing for true Christians, faithful, dedicated Christians Let not your heart be troubled. Now, we pick up here, and neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. And so Jesus is prophesying, I'm going to be leaving you soon. I'm telling this ahead of time so that, so that when it happens, you can remember and say, wow, that's exact fulfillment of what he told us was going to happen. In verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world, and he's talking about the devil there, world is under the devil's influence, is coming and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise. Let us go from here. Again, what a great chapter. And we'll pick up with chapter 15 next time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus into this world. Thank you for giving us your word to help us learn what he was here for, what he did for us, and to guide us to live our lives faithfully before you and him, and also looking forward to eternity with you both and the Holy Spirit in heaven. Eternal life. Thank you, Father. Guide us to live by your teachings and to your glory always. Please, Father, please forgive us and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.